Hey, Pod Rishner, this is Zach Daniel here, and uh, really glad that you're dialed in, giving us your attention today. Uh, we're beginning a new season in the life of our church. You're going to hear about that in the message. But over the next nine weeks, we're going to be traveling together, looking at the values of an authentic disciple of Jesus. I want to let you know, if you're listening to this podcast in the fall of 2017, that we're just about to fire up a round of growth courses. These are short courses designed to help you grow in your faith, to grow in your character. They're taught by some seasoned teachers on topics that we've heard feedback from from you, from people in our community of, hey, this is what I want to grow and this is what I need help with. So I want you to go on the website and check those out. Love you guys. And with that, we will jump into the message. From the launch of our church, we have had a vision to join in with Jesus's work of saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. But why is this so important? When the gospel saturates a city, spiritual renewal happens. People become more generous and empathetic. Families flourish. Vibrant communities are built. Race relations are more healthy. Works of mercy and compassion for the poor are invigorated. Schools are strengthened. Healthcare becomes more holistic and healing, and businesses are more creative and humane. When the gospel saturates a city, God is known and cherished and people flourish. And this is where you come into the story. As a church family, we want to renew our commitment to this vision and the values that undergird it. You have a meaningful part to play as we join with Jesus in saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. Today's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 27, verse 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. Today's New Testament reading is from Philippians 3. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. Today's Gospel reading is from John 6. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Hey, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, Dallas. Want to welcome you today. Welcome home to the presence of Jesus. Welcome home to the people of Jesus. Welcome home to the purposes of Jesus. And if you're a visitor, if this is your first time, man, we're super glad that you are here. This is a great place to learn and to grow and to build meaningful friendships and to get launched into your purpose in in God. We're really excited that you're here. If you call Antioch Dallas your church home, I just want to thank you for the ways that you guys 
guys have loved me and my wife and our crew. Right here, you can see the, the picture of our family. River's 10 days old. He's in the middle. We've got Sparrow and Eli and Jasper, and, and there I am, and my wife, and, and, and we're, we're, we're hanging on. You can pray for us. We will appreciate that. But River is healthy. Christina's recovering well. His name is River Jubilee Daniel, and I'll tell you uh, the meaning behind that name at another time. But I just really appreciate the love, the prayer, the encouragement, the meals, the gifts, all the stuff that, that my family has been so blessed to receive as a part of being a part of this community. Love you all very, very much. Second thing before we jump into the message on those growth courses, just want to plug those to you for a moment. This summer we got feedback from different people as a part of our church of what would be helpful to help us grow in the Lord and grow in the things that he's called us to. And we heard a number of different things where people say, hey, I really, uh, I want to learn the Bible. I want to learn how to understand the Bible. Like when I read it, I'm like, mm, I want to know. And so we've got one of the classes is help me learn the Bible where a guy who his vocation, his job is teaching the Bible at a local school. And he's going to teach you kind of answer some of the hard questions of the Bible, help you understand like how to really get the meat out of it. Uh, other classes, other feedback we got was we want opportunity. I, I'm young. I want opportunity to connect with a seasoned saint. And, and so we're doing that. We've recruited some of the seasoned saints in our midst to teach some classes to offer an opportunity for intergenerational learning based off feedback that you guys ha have given. We've got an ASL class going on because God's doing something with the uh, ministry to the deaf community. So really cool opportunities. I want to encourage you, go on the website, take a look at them, and consider maybe I should sign up for one of those to grow this fall. All right, with that, uh, we're going to talk today about the first value in this renewal, which is related to treasure. And I want to answer a few questions at first of why are we taking this time to focus on renewal? Why, why with everything going on in our world, is this the, the topic for the moment? And I want to give you three particular reasons. Number one, <clears throat> is anytime you're in a season of transition, as we have been as a church, it's a really good time to reflect on who you are, whose you are, and what's your vision for the future. And as we've been kind of coming out of, of our nomadic season this summer and spring, as we've moved into this facility, it's just a good time to bring clarity of who we are and what we're about as a church. As followers of Jesus, brought together by the grace of God, a diverse family, what are we about? So we want to bring clarity to that. Number two, we want to talk about, and it's important to talk about renewal for the sake of consistency. And what I mean by that is some researchers studied Dallas and found that Dallas had quite an interesting relationship between religion, faith, and kind of our, our city. So they studied it, and they found out that in Dallas, 87% of Dallas would self-identify as Christian. If you were to ask them, uh, it's almost 9 out of every 10 people would say, I'm a Christian. When the researchers dug a little deeper, though, they found that this idea means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So they found of those who said they were a Christian, uh, said, yes, I'm a Christian, only 43% said that that Christian faith impacted their life in any real way, that the way that they lived was influenced by their faith in Christ. Now, that's, that's interesting to think about the variety of experiences that could say, I'm a Christian, but it has no bearing on my life. When the researchers asked if, if they, what they believed about sin, 40% uh, believed that Jesus Christ sinned. 
or could have sinned or possibly sinned. Like there were some questions about his righteousness and perfection. Another 50% said the way that you get right with God, the way that you kind of get saved or however, whatever terminology you use is through your works, is through doing the right thing, right? Through doing things like going down to serve the poor. That's how you get right with God. That was 50% uh, of the answers. So as you can see, there's just a wide variety of opinion on what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a Christian? And I don't know about you, but for me, I really want to do this the authentic way. I, I bet you want to have an authentic relationship with Jesus. Such that if he came back or the original disciples came back, they would say, hey, you're headed in the right direction. You're not perfect, but I mean, you're, you're, you're headed north, not south. You're headed east, not west. Whatever it may be that you're on the right trail. I think we all want that, that our faith would be real and authentic and deep. And so we want to focus in, uh, as we recite the Nicene Creed, that's the doctrine that undergirds Christianity. And in our preaching, we want to focus in on the values that shape, that flow out of that doctrine, that shape the way that we live. So that we can say, hey, are we, are we authentic in what we're talking about here? And then the third reason is vision. If, as that video said, when the gospel saturates a city, people flourish, then we owe it to the world to be a people saturated with the gospel, to be a people shaped and formed by the goodness of Jesus for the sake of our city, right? So those are three reasons why this is really important and why we want to focus in. Today, we're going to talk about treasure. Kind of the get to know you question is, what did you treasure as a child? And as we talk about treasure, I want to take you on a bit of an adventure together. We're going to do three things. Number one, we are going to go on an adventure. We've got a little picture of Indiana Jones to help us with that. So you can think your hat and your bullwhip, and, and we're going to be like archaeologists in a moment. Number two, we're going to do a science experiment. After Indiana Jones, we're going to do Doc from Back to the Future, right? So you can fluff out your hair if you have that. Uh, you can fluff that out, and we're going to kind of dig in scientifically. We're going to take some things apart. And then number three, after our science experiment, we're going to do some farming. So think Paw off Little House on the Prairie, reruns on TBS. We're going to do some farming together. Okay, so an adventure, a science experiment, and some farming. Let's go to the adventure. I'm going to tell you a story, uh, take you kind of halfway around the world to uh, Vietnam, and I want to tell you a story about Hien Pham. He was a Vietnamese man living in the time of the Vietnam War. Communism was ruling the day, and he was a Christian. And if you know anything about Christians under communist regimes, communists want to wipe out all kinds of religious faith of any type of variety other than looking to the state or looking to the leading party or looking to the leading ruler as God. Right? The party, the state, the government, the leader, that's the big deal. That's where hope and salvation and identity come from. And if you believe anything else, under a communist regime, by whatever means are necessary, they're going to seek to eradicate that faith. Well, that's what happened to Hien, and he was put into a concentration camp for his faith. 
In that concentration camp, they took away all of his kind of Bibles, journals, prayer guides, all of that stuff, and they would subject him to day after day kind of a a reprogramming, if you will, where he would need to listen to communist propaganda and read communist materials trying to rewire his thought process. They were going to wash out this Christian faith. In addition to that, he was persecuted. He suffered. He was tortured, right? And they would do different things to combine pain with the brainwashing in hopes of silencing his faith. And for a long time, it was, it was effective. He came to the end of his rope, he described. He said he got to the end, and he was just like, I, I, I don't know that Christianity is real. I think my faith in Christ must have been a sham. Christ is not who he says he is. I'm going to give up. The communists are right. I'm going to give up. I'm going to walk away. Tomorrow is going to be the last day, or today is going to be the last day that I pray. Tomorrow, I'm walking away from the faith. Well, tomorrow comes, and uh, he and on that day was assigned kind of one of the torturous tasks was to clean the latrine in this concentration camp. So now I want you, as we go on this adventure, to kind of just visualize with me a bit. You're in a a concentration camp, a prison camp, a prisoner of war camp, and you're thinking, man, I doubt this is clean, smells good, looks good, right? And his job is to clean that thing out. Now, as best I understand the story, he didn't have many materials, wouldn't have modern technology to help do this. This was kind of manual labor. If you understand what I'm saying, he was to go in there and he was to clean it. And so he described going in there and kind of, you know, cleaning through the refuse and the junk and the mire and the muck. And he comes to one toilet that's overflowing. And his job is he's got to figure out how to uh, somehow get it working again, right? So he kind of takes the plunge and is in there and is working around. And he realizes that there's a piece of paper that's wedged in the latrine that's, that's stopping it up. And he pulls the piece of paper out and he looks at it and he realizes that this piece of paper is familiar, that there's writing on it that's familiar to him. And though it's messy and mucky, he, he kind of cleans it off and he looks at it and he realizes this is a page from the New Testament. Now, he's been in the concentration camp for a long time. They've confiscated all the religious type of material. And yet here at the bottom of the latrine, he finds a page of the scripture on the day that he gave up faith in Christ. So he's struck by this, as you or I might be. And he opens up the piece of paper and he looks at it and he realizes that it's, that it's a chapter from the book of Romans. It's Romans chapter 8. And as he looks at the scripture, he, he sees clearly on there, Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 38. And I want to read it to you. It says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As he read that, he was struck. As a student of the Bible, he knew that this was perhaps the most relevant, poignant, powerful scripture to someone in his situation in one of the darkest places on earth, that even there, the love of Christ was for him could not be taken away. 
And the Holy Spirit began to minister encouragement and renewal and hope to Hian's heart. He repented from walking away, said, Jesus, you're real, you're with me, and if your love is here, I can make it through the day. Next day comes, he's back in the latrine, doing the same job, finds the same toilet, clogged, filled, and he's needing to clean it out. And again, he finds another piece of paper down at the bottom of the latrine. It's another chapter, another page from the New Testament. Several days go by. Each day, the same thing happens, and he realizes that one of the guards is using one of the confiscated New Testaments as toilet paper. And there in the latrine, that dark, terrible, smelly place becomes a garden or a paradise or a source of hope and strength for he in because he found the words of the Lord, encouragement there that became a place of treasure for him. And that encounter gave him what he needed to persevere through his time in the concentration camp and to come out with faith and with vision and with love and with tenderness, not to be broken by what we would all say may be one of the harshest things could be thrown at someone. It's a powerful story. Why do I tell you that story? Well, I think that you and I actually have a lot in common with he and fam. And the reason being is I think that we all, when we think about it, we have something in life that we treasure like that, that we're willing to wade through muck and mire. We're willing to go through difficulty, distress, trials, tribulation, we're willing to work hard that if we could have this thing, this one thing, then life is worth living. Then there's reason for hope. There's reason for encouragement. There's reason for purpose. This is what gives us an identity and a future. I bet every one of us has something like that. It may not be like the Bible for you, like if you don't give me just a Sunday school kind of answer, like if you think about it. I bet everyone has something. I I, I thought of a couple. It might be family. It might be kind of where you're from. It might be your political roots or your ethnicity. It might be an achievement, like if I could make this much money or if I could be on this team or I could be get a letter jacket or whatever it may be. I want you to think about what's that thing for you, not when you were a kid, but when you are where you are right now. If you're in middle school or high school, college, grad school, working, wherever you might find yourself, retirement, what's that thing for you that's your treasure? I want you to do a little Indiana Jones kind of excavation, dig around right here in the heart a little bit. I want you to think about that. Okay, now as you have it in mind, we're going to do a bit of a science experiment. We're going to do a bit of an evaluation of kind of taking this treasure apart and really looking at what's there. Uh, If you think back to to your science days where you dissected a frog or a pig or whatever it might be, we're going to kind of do a little dissection on these treasures that we've come up with. Now, this is important because I want to make sure that the treasure that you and I hold to is not a counterfeit. What's a counterfeit? Counterfeit is something that looks real, something that promises reality, but in fact is not what it says it is. Think counterfeit money or counterfeit painting, right? We don't want a counterfeit treasure if we're putting our whole life on this thing. We want the real deal. So let's let's take a look at some of these. So for some of us, I imagine, I just went through a few things that I thought it might be your past. 
It might be the family that you were born into. Maybe you kind of had a little reputation in your town or your city or your family just kind of goes to this school and my family, we're all, you know, doctors or teachers or or farmers or whatever it may be. It may be your family. It may be kind of your political upbringing, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent. Maybe, Maybe that's the thing that's like, man, this is treasure. This is the ultimate deal. Uh, your past. It could be your ethnicity. It could be your where you're from. We're Texans. We're kind of proud about that. That may be your big deal. We're Americans. We're, we're proud about that. That may be your big deal. It may be some other thing that we just hold on to that says this is what makes life worth living. This is what makes gives me hope. So let's think about, let's dissect that example for a moment. And what I want you to notice is probably everything that was mentioned was a good thing. Like there's probably nothing that you came up with in that regard that was like, oh, that's a really bad thing. They're all good things, right? But when good things become ultimate things, when good things become gods, they take on a new nature. They get twisted and they twist us. And I want to show you what I mean. If your big deal, if your treasure is where you're from or it's your ethnicity or it's your family of origin that's kind of like, this is what makes me, then what it does inside of you, when it moves from being a good thing that we can all appreciate to an ultimate thing, to a God in your life, when it moves to that place, what happens on the inside of you is it makes you prideful. Because it's like, man, this is what everyone needs to be like. Everyone needs to be like me or respect me because of this is the best thing going. So internally, you become prideful, and in your pride, you get blinded. Now, what do I mean by that? When, when our place that we're from, when our family, when our, when our ethnicity, when that's our main thing, the thing that makes us the deepest part of who we are, not only does it make us prideful, but it also makes us blind to the dark side of our family, or our politics, or our ethnicity, or our place of origin. It makes us blind to the weaknesses or the dangers that are there or the problems. I love sports, and every year, every season, you can read about whether rich or poor, uh, it doesn't matter their background, different athletes that have incredible potential, and yet out of a desire to stay loyal to where they're from, I have a desire to say loyal to their family or their culture or their neighborhood or whatever it may be, that they get blind to the dangers that are there and they end up squandering their potential because they get sucked back in to the dark side of their neighborhood, the dark side of their ethnicity, the dark side of their state, the dark side of their nation. They just get blind. When that becomes an ultimate thing, you lose your ability to see rightly. When you have a community collectively, not just as an individual, but collectively, when you live like that, then the way that you treat people that are not your same party, your same nationality, your same race, whatever it may be, as you look down on them and you'll justify, and history bears this out. If any of you were to study history, junior high, high school, college, whatever the case may be, history bears this out, that you will self-justify exploitation and oppression of everyone else who's not like you. And you'll think you're valid or you're, you're justified in doing it. 
We can look, as Americans, we can look around the world and we can see that happening in events like the Holocaust. We can see that happening in events like the, the, the communist Vietnam, like I just told you. Sometimes, though, this is a subtle one for us. Sometimes, though, we're blind to the way this has happened in our own cities and states and nations. Right? And if this becomes the main thing, then what it leads to is that we're willing to exploit, to use, to take over, to oppress, to break anyone who doesn't look like us, think like us, act like us, uh, honor us. So that good thing of being proud about where you're from, when it becomes an ultimate thing, it twists you and it twists us. It's destructive. Maybe it's not your past, though. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's an achievement. Like you're in junior high, and you're like, man, if I could make this sport, if I could be on this, I could be on the A team at, at football, or I'm in high school, if I get a letter jacket, or I could be this character in the drama or the play, or I could take AP classes, or I could be on the honor roll. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's like, oh, you're in high school and you're thinking about college. If I could get into this school. If you're in college, if I could get into this fraternity or sorority, if I could get this internship, if you're out of college and like if I get this job, these letters after my name, uh, this income, you know, six figures, that's going to be make me. Seven figures, that's going to make me. Eight, whatever it may be, right? Maybe that's your treasure. Maybe that's a thing that's like if I could have that, life would be worth living. When we dissect it, we see the same uh, problems that happen. We see that under the light uh, of reality, putting our hope and our treasure and our future achievements leads us to a prison. Let me explain. If your hope is to achieve something and you don't make it, if it was to be on this team, to be in this school, to get this job, to get this promotion, and it doesn't happen, you know what happens to you? You're crushed. Because you're a failure. You failed at the ultimate thing that matters, and it's irrecoverable because I didn't make that team, because I didn't get into that school, because I didn't get that job, because I didn't do this or make that. And you're just like, my life is a failure. If you make it, you become a prideful jerk because you're like, look at me. Look at my letter jacket. Look at my school. Look at my diploma. Look at my resume. Look at my income. And then here's the problem. <laughs> Whenever you move from being a big fish in a small pond to a small fish in a big pond, that thing that made you, that achievement that made you in high school, you were the guy or you were the girl who was always on the honor roll. You were the guy or the girl who was always, you know, the best athlete. And then you move up to a bigger school. You go someplace new and you realize, man, there are a thousand people that are better that are better than me. There are a thousand people that are smarter than me. If your deal is the income and you're like, man, I just want to make this and then I'm going to move into that neighborhood. And I drive through that neighborhood all the time because I'm envisioning myself. Just this is what it looks like to make it. And you make that income. And then you move into that neighborhood and you realize there are a thousand people there that make more money than you. And you've gone from kind of being big and successful to, gosh, I'm nothing when I'm with these people. I'm like the low end, right? You're crushed. So it crushes you whether you make it or don't make it if your hope, if your treasure is an achievement in life. It's counterfeit. It's a counterfeit God. It's a counterfeit treasure. This good thing, it's good to achieve. It's good to work hard. It's good to have goals. But when they become an ultimate thing, a defining thing, they destroy us. 
When we're a community where this runs rampant within us, it makes our communities cutthroat because you will use people to get whatever achievement you need. You'll use this coach or this school or this job or whatever. You'll use this person. You'll just use them to get what you want. So our societies become cutthroat. And they become empty. We spend ourselves on things that don't really matter. Like I told you, I love sports. I love Michael Jordan. But I heard this story about Michael Jordan, a man who has built his life on great achievements, of being with a friend, and the friend had Puma clothing. If you know Jordan, he has his own brand. And this friend had Puma clothing in his his closet. And Michael Jordan was so offended that he went into the guy's closet, he pulled out all the Puma clothing, and he cut it up. And he said, call my agent tomorrow, and he'll send you all new clothing. You can only wear Jordan brand to be my friend. Why would you spend so much emotional energy and spend your life on people who have to wear my clothes? Unless it was an achievement that made you great. You couldn't stand to have anyone not honor that achievement. Right? You may not be Michael Jordan, but we all have a leaning, at least a little bit, to our achievements defining us. Third thing that I thought of was relationships. Maybe it's your mom or dad. Like maybe if you could please your mom or you could please your dad or if they think this of you or say that of you, be like, man, life would be worth living. Maybe it's being in a certain friend group, right? You're in junior high. It's like, man, if I could eat lunch at this table, you're in high school, this team, go on fraternity, sorority, whatever it may be, you get out and you're like, man, if I could be in with this crowd or this girl or this guy or my boss at work or these guys at work or these girls at work, that would be just what made me. Maybe it's my reputation. Maybe if the other parents at the school would look at me and think highly of me, that's kind of what's beating within my chest. Again, what we see is that when held up from a good thing, it's good to have relationships, right? But when it becomes an ultimate thing, this too destroys us. Why? Because we become chameleons. You'll become a chameleon. Whoever you're around, You'll act one way to please a certain group, act another way to please another one. You'll hide parts of who you are. You won't live authentically because if you need mom and dad to approve you, you're just going to show them the couple cards that they approve of, but you're not going to show them the real you. If you need this girl or this guy to approve you, you're going to act one way when you're with them, act a completely way when you're not, a completely different way when you're not. You live like a chameleon. You live self-absorbed because no longer are people people, right? But I'm using you to meet a need that I have because I need you to like me. I need you to affirm me. I need you to be my friend. As a community, when we do this, we, we live codependent. We live relationally sick. So what hope is there for us that I just, uh, you know, say, man, I'm going to come back from paternity break. And I'm just going to beat everybody up with... Here's all the wrong things about you. No. In the Bible, Jesus, the scriptures go after what we're talking about here called idolatry. They go after these counterfeit gods, not out of, man, I'm just going to drive you into the floor with everything that's wrong with you, but out of deep love to save you from that which is counterfeit and lead you to that which is authentic, which is Jesus himself. Jesus comes into the world, the word made flesh, come to dwell amongst us, God with skin on. And what does he say? What does he say? We saw in John chapter 7, Jesus speaks. And he says this, I 
am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Into our lost and broken, uh, twisted and twisting world comes not a counterfeit God, but an authentic Savior, an authentic treasure that you could come to and you could find an identity that does not shift or change based on the people around you, but God who created you, who loves you, who gave himself for you, will give you a lasting identity so that you can move from being insecure and fearful and chameleon living to being solid and secure. That you can move from using people to get things to being a person that genuinely loves people because you don't have to have their affections anymore. You can serve. From being a community where we're divided because everyone's trying to say everyone else needs to be like me, you now have a king who died for his enemies. Therefore, with him at the center, with him as your treasure, you can love people who are different than you and not feel threatened or insecure. When Jesus is your treasure then the longings of your heart that you keep thinking, man, a raise at work, this friend group, this sports team, this deal, this person's opinion of me, that longing actually gets satisfied by something that can truly meet your thirst, the bread of life, the water from which you drink and never thirst again. So as disciples, as followers of Jesus, this is our centerpiece. This is our first value. This is what it looks like to authentically follow Christ. You may have heard to follow Christ means you're a good person. To follow Christ means you vote a certain way. To follow Christ means you, you just kind of have all your act together. It's none of those things. To follow Christ means you've realized, even if it's just a little bit, that Jesus is treasure. That he's not a means to get some other thing, but he is the end and of himself. And when we come to him, we're healed we're satisfied, we're secure, we're satiated. He's the big deal. So how in the world do we live this out? Like you might be like, Zach, I understand that. I understand I got a lot of other treasures and I'd really like to actually have one that meets me like right here, that satisfies my soul. How in the world do I do that? Okay, so now we're gonna go farming. And what I wanna show you is that this is something that grows within us. This is something that grows within our community. No one here is perfect at this. No one here has achieved mastery at this. But we're on a journey together as disciples. And we're learning and we're growing. And it takes sowing things into our lives to grow this value. Okay? So I want to give you three things that you can do to grow in this. And I want to make a caveat at first. Uh, I do not want you to walk away today with, okay, here are three more, three more things I need to add to my to-do list, right? I, I, we're not doing that. What I want you to do, though, whether it's today or next week or the week after, as we're going through these values, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what's the one thing that he is calling you to do, the one place that he is calling you to farm, a step forward for you? I'm going to list three I don't want you to come after and tell me how I'm going to do all three. I want you to pray, and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, which one are you calling me to sow in this season that I might grow in experiencing Jesus 
as my treasure. Okay? So everybody, it's a to-do list with a lot of responsibility. Don't walk away from here feeling like, man, pastor just gave me more things to do. No. This is between you and God. Let's let the Holy Spirit speak. Number one, how would you grow in this? Sunday worship. You make a commitment to come into times like this. These times are recalibrating. Week happens, there's all sorts of stuff going on, all sorts of messages we're taking in, all sorts of things in our lives. And when we come together, as the people of Jesus have done for thousands of years, it's like a recalibration around what is true, around what is real treasure. When we worship, when we listen to the word, when we pray for one another, when we see other followers of Jesus, it, it, it stirs this within us. And I know it's not trendy or popular. I know it's kind of like, well, I'll come to church whenever I'm in town or whatever. But if you want to grow in this, I want you to prioritize being a part of our Sunday gatherings. This could be a step that the Holy Spirit is calling you to do, a countercultural step, but a meaningful step towards you experiencing Jesus to be your treasure. Second one, Sabbath. I want you to take a day off. Actually, uh, every week, take a break, take a nap, sleep in. Have fun. Remember the goodness of God. Sabbath. Now, we've talked about this several times. I want to encourage you in this again. Right? When you take a day off to Sabbath, to rest, what you're saying is it's not my job that defines me. It's not my agenda that defines me. It's not my paycheck that defines me. It's not my political party that defines me. It's not this relationship that defines me. It's Jesus. He's enough so I can rest. It is good. Amen. I mean, might be something that the Holy Spirit wants you to do. Take a nap. All right. Number three, devotional life. Now, what is this? People call it FaceTime, quiet time, devotional life. We could probably come up with 30 other names that you might have heard it called. But it's a daily practice of spending time with Jesus in a focused way. It's more than kind of listening to some stuff on Spotify on the way to work. Oh, that's good. This is like carving out some time in an intentional way to read God's word, to pray, to commune with Jesus and to let him be your bread, to let him be your water that satisfies and to grow in that relationship. Right? It'd be a very, my wife and I have a very strange relationship if we never spent any time together or if I just saw her once a week. Right? Same thing with the Lord. If we want to grow in Jesus being our treasure, carve out this time each day. If you're like, Zach, I don't know how to do that. Two things. One, we have this app, church app. It's pretty cool. I haven't talked about it in a while, but it's on the, the uh, iTunes store. You can download it and it's got devotional resources. It's got a Bible, it's got different things you can do. So it's kind of like devotional life in an app that you can carry with you, or you can sign up for one of those growth classes. A lot of great opportunities. Imagine all of them at some point will hit on kind of this aspect that you can learn and you can grow. Okay, so I want you to be praying about Holy Spirit. What's the one thing that I need to sow into me that I could live more with Jesus as my treasure? And as a community, how can we do that together for our own good, for the sake of the world around us? So I want to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray to close us. Jesus, thank you that into a world of counterfeit gods, you are the real deal, that you are real treasure, that you are real bread, that you are real water that satiates our thirst.
Thank you that as followers of Jesus, Lord, that this is something that you want to grow in us, you want to satisfy us on, you want to feed us with. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us all about how we're to sow into this as individuals and as a community this season of the fall. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst, and we would love for you to be a part. Uh, If you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.